Good morning. This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. I want to thank Senator Merkley for helping to convene this hearing today, and I'm grateful for our continued partnership on so many issues, Senator. I'd also like to thank uh, the senior senator from Indiana, Senator Donnelly, uh, as well as Senator Peters of Michigan. The purpose of today's hearing is, of course, to review the nominations of five individuals for key positions. They include the following, David T. Fisher, nominated to serve as ambassador to the Kingdom of Morocco, the Honorable Earl Robert Miller, a career member of the, of the uh, Senior Foreign Service to serve as ambassador to the People's Republic of Bangladesh, Mr. Daniel Rosenblum, a career member of the Senior Executive Service to be ambassador to the Republic of Uzbekistan, uh, Uzbe easy for me to say. Mr. Kip Tom, to be ambassador and U.S. representative to the United Nations Agencies for Food and Agriculture. The Honorable David Yamamoto, a career member of the Senior Foreign Service, to be ambassador to the Federal Republic of Somalia. I want to welcome each of you and thank you for being here today. And, and most importantly, I want to thank you for your willingness to serve our country. I'd like to extend a special welcome to Mr. Tom from Indiana. Based on Kip's tremendous experience and status as a fellow Hoosier, I wrote a letter to the president last year recommending that he nominate Mr. Tom for this position. As I said in that letter, Kip has more than four decades of domestic and international experience related to food and agriculture and is uniquely qualified. So I'm glad that you're appearing before the committee today as a nominee for this important position. I'm also grateful that uh, you've invited so many members of your family. In fact, I cannot recall having so many family members attend one of these hearings. And they all shared with me, um, I think your parents shared me, with me, we'd have a lot more if it weren't harvest season. So um, they could raise their hands just to represent. That's a lot of individuals, a lot of Hoosiers, so thank you for being here. Uh, during his May 24th appearance before this committee, Secretary Pompeo said, quote, with so many challenges before us, the State Department needs a full team on the field from locally employed staff around the world to senior leaders in Washington, unquote. Secretary Pompeo expressed concern about vacancies and key positions and said, we need our men and women on the ground executing American diplomacy with great vigor and energy and representing our great nation. I completely agree. And that's why I'm excited to have five nominees uh, before the committee today. I'm, I'm hopeful that the committee and then the full Senate can process their nominations as expeditiously as possible. With that, I'd like to recognize Senator Merkley for his opening comments um, and uh, also indicate that our other senators uh, uh, do have time commitments. I know Senator Donnelly has an, another committee hearing, and he'll need to be out of here roughly or around 10 after in order to make that. So uh, with that, Senator Merkley. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. I'm glad we're able to, to have this hearing and, and uh, expedite the process uh, for so many individuals in key positions. Uh, thank you to Mr. Fisher and Ambassador Miller, Mr. Rosenblum, Mr. Tom, Ambassador Yamamoto, for being here today and for being willing to serve in critical posts for our nation around the world. I have seen the work UN agencies perform in the food and agricultural sectors during my congressional delegations abroad, and I'm glad to see a nominee 
for ambassador for these vital institutions. And I'm pleased to see on this panel career foreign and civil servants who have come to their positions with years of experience. Ambassador Miller, Saturday will mark one year anniversary of the start of the brutal campaign of ethnic cleansing conducted by the Burmese military against Rohingya, which of course is relevant to your position because of the 700,000 refugees that have fled the violence in Burma to neighboring Bangladesh. And I look forward to hearing from you how the United States can assist Bangladesh in addressing this very, very challenging situation. And I'm also pleased Ambassador Yamamoto's nomination is moving forward. I visited Somalia in March of this year, and I know the challenges that you'll, you'll face in leading uh, this, this mission, a part of the world that's wrestling with climate chaos and conflict and uh, corruption, the combination of substantial challenges. And it's kind of exciting to have a, a president there who is uh, also a dual citizen with the United States uh, and, uh, and I think uh, certainly working as, uh, to bring some real policy efforts to bear on those challenges. I hope you will be given the necessary security resources and support from the department to do your work. Uh, when I visited, uh, the, uh, the representatives of the United States said, we are the only ones who can't leave our compound, and to do our work, we need to be able to get off the compound. An issue I've raised with uh, Secretary Pompeo, I want to make sure that um, uh, our, our team there is able to do, do the work. Mr. Rosenblum, I've confirmed you'll lead a mission in Uzbekistan, historically an important hub for supplying our troops in Afghanistan, and a state that can play an important role in resolving the, the conflict there, including recently hosting some of the conversations uh, with the Taliban. I look forward to hearing from uh, Mr. Fisher. Uh, Morocco is fascinating, uh, a fascinating state. I appreciated our conversation yesterday and give you an opportunity to address a couple of the issues that the, the committee had raised that they wanted you to clarify. And thank you all. Senator Donnelly, I welcome you to make whatever comments you'd like to make. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to thank all of our witnesses for your service to the country. I am here to introduce and proud to introduce my fellow Hoosier, Kip Tom, who has been nominated to serve as America's ambassador to the United Nations World Food Program and Food and Agriculture Organization. Before I speak about Kip, I would like to take a moment to recognize some of the people who are here supporting him today. And there are a lot of people here supporting him today. His parents, Everett and Marie, have traveled from Leesburg, Indiana, to be here today. He's also joined by his wife, Marcia his sister, Melinda, his children, Cassie and Kyle, his daughter-in-law, Angie, his grandchildren, Keegan, Camden, and Cameron, as well as other family members and friends. I am sure they are all very, very proud of your accomplishments. A native Hoosier, Kip is a seventh-generation farmer and has been active in agribusiness in Indiana for 40, over 40 years. He's a current chairman of Tom Farms in Leesburg, Indiana, which is one of the largest corn, soybean, and seed growers in the state. Kip's agribusiness experience spans the globe. It includes work in North America, South America, Africa, Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. He serves on the boards of the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, the Future Farmers of America Foundation, and the National 4-H Foundation. His leadership in the field has also been recognized by the Agriculture Future of America, which awarded him the 2015 Ag Leader of the Year Award. I believe Kip is highly qualified and will be committed to achieving the goals of the United Nations World Food Program and Food and Agriculture Organization as they strive to defeat hunger 
and to achieve food security worldwide. I look forward to hearing his testimony and your questions. Um, as I said, we are very, very proud of Mr. Tom, and um, I strongly, strongly support his nomination. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Donnelly. Uh, with that, Senator Peters, I welcome you to make any comments. Well, thank you, uh, Chairman Young. Thank you uh, for holding the hearing, uh, Ranking Member Merkley and other senators that are here, and uh, each of the folks who have been nominated. Uh, your willingness to serve, I've confirmed, is, uh, is certainly very much uh, appreciated. Uh, I certainly appreciate the opportunity to introduce uh, David Fisher, uh, Amisha Gander, uh, nominated to serve as the U.S. Ambassador to Morocco. I will say he is also backed up by a very large contingent behind me of 17 members uh, of the Fisher family. It was certainly uh, great to have an opportunity to meet them uh, before this hearing. David uh, is a leader in the Metro Detroit business community. He built his family's auto dealership business uh, into one of the largest dealer groups in the entire country. He and his wife, Jennifer, are known for dedication to the community and charitable causes, particularly focused on efforts to fight cancer, help children, and improve schools. David and I have talked about the importance of vocational education, and his company has invested in these programs at Michigan schools, providing students with the skills training, meals, and for those who earn the required certifications, a good-paying job in his company. David's company also recognizes local teachers who have earned the distinction of Teacher of the Year in their districts, and he allows them to pick a car to use for an entire year at no cost to them in honor of their recognition. David has raised millions of dollars for renovations at the College for Creative Studies in Detroit. And thanks to David's leadership on the Board of Trustees, students have a cutting-edge learning facility contributing to Detroit's long history as a leader in innovation as well as creativity. David and his employees have generously supported a number of charitable initiatives, including Fallen Heroes, the Red Cross, the American Cancer Society, and Ford Mobile Food Pantry, among many, many others. If confirmed, David will have an important job ahead of him as the ambassador to one of America's first allies. But as someone who has navigated the darkest days of an auto industry on the brink of a collapse to the road to recovery, and had, has done that through collaboration and bringing people together, David has demonstrated tenacity, adaptability, and most importantly, leadership. Thank you. Well, thank you, Senator Peters, and uh, welcome you to stay if you like, but I understand your responsibilities may also carry you elsewhere. Uh, I gather Senator Flake uh, also has an introduction to make. Right. Senator. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, it's tradition if uh, somebody's from your state, uh, to a foreign service officer to introduce them here. Uh, Earl Miller is not from Arizona. I'm sure he wishes he was <laughs> at times, but, uh, and maybe at some point, but, but he's not. But uh, I chair the Africa Subcommittee and have had the occasion to spend a considerable amount of time in Southern Africa and to be able to witness what he has done in the country of Botswana as its ambassador, or as our ambassador to Botswana for the last three and a half years. Uh, he's here with his partner, Michelle, and. Uh, son of Alexander, I believe, and Andrew is elsewhere. Uh, but uh, I, I just want to say that uh, it makes me so proud, and one of the best things we get to do as members of the Senate is to travel around and see uh, the good work that Foreign Service officers uh, are doing around the world. 
uh, in particular in Botswana, so many challenges there with uh, one of the most successful efforts the U.S. has ever uh, uh, put in place with PEPFAR. Uh, Botswana was taken from a country that was uh, in severe danger of, of total collapse there to a situation where we're in a good position and uh, moving toward uh, um, at least a position where where everyone is, is getting treated. And the efforts that uh, Ambassador Miller made in that regard are, are commendable. Also, wildlife preservation uh, and uh, environment and habit, habitat protection. Uh, we have a wonderful partnership with the government of Botswana that would not be possible were it not for the uh, efforts of uh, Ambassador Miller. Uh, I just want to say that uh, South Asia, uh, Bangladesh is going to be uh, grateful to to have him. Uh, he's he's uh, done a great job in his previous posts, and I just wanted to commend him here uh, today and uh, for all he's done for Southern Africa. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, thank you. And, and once again, I want to welcome all of our witnesses. Uh, without objection, your full written statements will be included in the record. And at this point, I'd like to invite each of you to summarize your written statement in no more than five minutes. Uh, I welcome you to introduce, if you like, any members uh, of your family that may be present here today. So we will go in the order that I announced you, uh, beginning with Mr. Fisher. Thank you so much, Senator. Thank you. Um, as always, uh, Jennifer's there helping me turn the button on. <laughs> If, if I may, uh, with the Fisher family, are you all here? Everybody here? Okay. Um, presiding Member Young, Ranking Mem Member Merkler, Merkley, and distinguished members of, of the committee, I am honored to appear before you today as President Donald J. Trump's nominee to serve as the ambassador to the Kingdom of Morocco. First, I would like to express my profound thanks to the President and the Secretary of State for the confidence they have placed in me and the opportunity to represent our country. Presiding Member Young, I know that you and the members of this committee have a profound dedication to serving the American people and representing American interests around the globe. The opportunity with your consent and approval to work with you and your colleagues, the Secretary of State Pompeo, and the devoted members of this committee on behalf of the President is both humbling and invigorating. I am strengthened every day by the love and support of my family, including my wife Jennifer, who is here with me today, and who will join me on this journey. My sons David, Junior, Zachary, and Jeffrey, all of whom I could not be more proud of, together as a family, as a company, we have championed countless causes related to social, civic, and community well-being. I have dedicated my career to developing our business across the United States and Canada. Today, my company, founded nearly 75 years ago by my father, employs more than 3,400 people in the United States. Such lifelong endeavors will serve this, this country well, should I be confirmed. Morocco is one of our oldest allies. And as you know, our treaty of peace and friendship with Morocco ratified in 1787, is the longest unbroken treaty relationship in the United States history. Our friendship and continued economic, political, and security collaboration are vital and must be strengthened. With my business background, I appreciate the tremendous opportunities for trade as exports, 
from the United States to Morocco have tripled in recent years. Morocco is one of the few countries to which we have a free trade agreement. It is also a gateway for U.S. companies to enter other markets. If confirmed, I would work closely with this committee as well as all other relevant departments and agencies to expand these opportunities for U.S. businesses. I also understand that no position is without its challenges. While the unwavering resolve of men and women of our military continues to protect our nation and the world against the Islamic State and other terrorist organizations, our fight continues. The United States and Morocco stand firm in advancing religious freedom and rooting out extremism. Morocco is an active and capable partner was one of the first African countries to join the Global Coalition to Defeat ISIS and as co-chair of the Global Counterterrorism Forum, Morocco plays a global role in the fight against terrorism. If confirmed, I will seek to further strengthen our security cooperation with Morocco to protect U.S. interests in the region. I will support the United Nations efforts to adjust a, to advance a just, lasting and mutually acceptable political solution that provides for the self-determination of the people for the people of the Western Sahara. Today, the United States confronts complex foreign policy challenges around the world. Morocco is a bridge to Africa, to the Middle East, and to the Muslim world. Building a strong relationship with King Mohammed VI will be paramount as we strengthen our collaboration from the foundation of trust. If confirmed, I am confident that my experience in building and strengthening strategic alliances and cultivating and building commerce in supporting and promoting community, social welfare, and human rights will serve this administration and the United States well. If confirmed, I will work with the government of Morocco to continue political reform and encourage further progress on human rights. I fully understand that it will be my duty and privilege to work on behalf of the president in lockstep with the State Department and this committee to represent the United States of America in advancing our interest and help strengthen Morocco as a secure, prosperous, and vital ally of the United States of America. Thank you, Presiding Member Young and members of this committee. And thank you, Mr. Fisher. Ambassador Miller. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, I am honored to appear before you today. I would like to thank the President and Secretary of State for the trust and confidence they have placed in me as their nominee for Ambassador to the People's Republic of Bangladesh. Mr. Chairman, I would like to introduce my partner, Michelle Edelman, and the youngest son, Alexander, who just finished an internship at the State Department this week. I also want to recognize my son, Andrew, who is completing his studies at the University of South Florida. Their love and support over the years have been invaluable as they accompanied me around the world. It has been a privilege to serve the American people in eight countries across five geographic regions over the past three decades and see my sons grow into such smart, caring, accomplished young men and even consider following in dad's footsteps. It is an honor to be nominated to serve the United States in such a strategically important country at such a critical time for our bilateral relationship. As the world's eighth largest country by population and third largest Muslim majority nation, Bangladesh is known for its moderate, secular, pluralistic traditions. 
With an annual income growth rate of roughly 6% each year, Bangladesh aspires to soon become a middle-income country and is increasingly important trading partner and destination for U.S. investment. It is a vital link between South and Southeast Asia, is a country of promise and opportunity with a vibrant civil society poised to play an even greater role on the regional and world stage. We work closely with Bangladesh on a range of issues and hold regular structured dialogues on bilateral and regional issues, security and defense cooperation, as well as trade and investment. The United States is committed to a free and open Indo-Pacific, expanding our partnership with Bangladesh in support of good governance and fundamental rights and liberties, open access to seas and airways, peaceful resolution of territorial and maritime disputes, and free and reciprocal trade. We cooperate closely with Bangladesh on counterterrorism, ensuring threats do not grow and threaten to destabilize the region. We do so in a manner consistent with the rule of law and respect for human rights. We seek opportunities to increase our security and defense cooperation in recognition of Bangladesh's admirable contributions to regional security and active roles in UN peacekeeping operations. Bangladesh faces significant challenges we can work together to address in partnership. One is the Rohingya crisis. The numbers are staggering, with Bangladesh hosting nearly one million refugees from Rakhine State and Burma. The largest refugee camp is now the fourth largest city in Bangladesh. We are deeply appreciative of the generosity of the Bangladeshi government and people who have opened their borders and hearts to the Rohingya community that has suffered greatly. And the United States, as always, is doing its part. We are the largest donor addressing this humanitarian crisis, providing $204 million since August of last year. And we are grateful for Congress's funding and continuing support. As we approach the one-year anniversary of attacks in Burma that drove so many Rohingya from their homes, it is clear the crisis requires sustained efforts. We will continue to work with Bangladesh, UN agencies, and our international partners to meet the urgent needs of the Rohingya while continuing to press Burma to create the conditions necessary to allow for safe, voluntary, and dignified return. The upcoming national elections is an opportunity for Bangladesh to reaffirm its commitment to democracy and the rule of law by holding free, fair, credible, and inclusive elections that reflect the will of the Bangladeshi people. To do so, all parties must be able to fully engage in the political process. Freedom of expression and the press is also vital for a healthy democracy. Media, civil society, members of opposition groups, and peaceful protesters must be able to express their views and advocate for change without fear of retribution. Ambassador Bernicat has been a superb champion of all voices in the democratic process, and if, if confirmed, I pledge to follow her admirable example. The United States remains concerned about recent trends in democracy and human rights in Bangladesh. We remain troubled about reports of attacks on vulnerable populations, political violence, extrajudicial killings allegedly committed by security forces. If confirmed, I will work to support efforts to promote accountability and strengthen human rights and democracy in Bangladesh. Mr. Chairman, if confirmed, I would assume the responsibilities of my position with humility, dedication, and joy. I often tell my colleagues at our embassy in Botswana that an ambassador's greatest superpower is simply and wonderfully the power to do good. Throughout my career, including 24 years as a special agent with the State Department's Diplomatic Security Service, I have worked to ensure the safety and security of our embassies and people around the world in some very challenging environments. I appreciate this is the Chief of Mission's most serious responsibility, and it will always be a top priority. 
Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for your strong interest in South Asia and the positive role the United States plays on that continent. If confirmed, I welcome the opportunity to work with you, your committee, and other members of Congress to advance America's interest in Bangladesh and throughout the region. And I'll be honored to answer your questions. Thank you, Ambassador Miller. Mr. Rosenblum. Chairman Young, Ranking Member Merkley, Senator Shaheen, I'm honored to be here today as the nominee for U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Uzbekistan. Um, I'd like to introduce a few members of my family who've joined me here today. My, my wife, Sharon, my son, Jonah, and my daughter, Liana, um, and my sister, Miriam, who's come down from Boston to, to be with us today. Uh, they keep me grounded, and I'm grateful for that. They've already uh, taken to calling me Ambassadad. Uh, as, a, as an example of that, although I reminded them that they can't call me that until I'm confirmed by the U.S. Senate. Uh, the life journey that led to my sitting at this table started in Middleburg Heights, Ohio, where I had the good fortune to be the son of Lewis and Evelyn Rosenblum. My mother was an educator who passed on to me her love of learning and fascination with history. My father worked at NASA for over 30 years, developing rocket fuels that took the first Americans into space and later solar cell technology for use on Earth. My dad was also a human rights activist who in the early 1960s helped organize the grassroots movement that provided moral and material support to Jews and other oppressed minorities living under Soviet communism. His advocacy efforts eventually led to passage of the Jackson-Vanik Amendment and mass emigration of Soviet Jews to Israel and the United States. I was deeply inspired by my father's civic activism and motivated to learn more about that faraway place that occupied so much of his attention. No doubt this influenced my decision to study Russian, history, language, and literature, and later to pursue a master's in Soviet studies. I also consider myself extremely fortunate to have spent four years here in the United States Senate in the 1980s learning from one of the most brilliant and hardworking public servants I have ever known, Senator Carl Levin of Michigan. During more than two decades at the State Department, I have relished opportunities to collaborate with Congress to further our foreign policy goals. And if confirmed, I look forward to working together with the members of this committee to promote U.S. interests and values in our relationship with Uzbekistan. What are those interests? Why does the United States care? We care because what happens in Uzbekistan directly affects the safety and security of American citizens. We have seen what can happen around the world when we disengage and ignore the root causes of instability. A stable and secure Uzbekistan is very much in American interest. We also have a sound, long-standing bipartisan policy of supporting the sovereignty and territorial integrity of the independent states that emerged from the collapse of the Soviet empire. Uzbeks appreciate America's steadfast support for their sovereignty since 1991 when we were the very first country to recognize their independence. A fully sovereign Uzbekistan, free to align itself internationally as it sees fit, is very much in American interest. Uzbekistan currently is going through an exciting phase in its history as an independent nation. Over the past two years, President Mirziyoyev has launched a series of sweeping economic and political reforms aimed at modernizing Uzbekistan's economy, improving its citizens' quality of life, and making its government more accountable. More than 40 activists and journalists have been released from prison. Restrictions on civil society and the media are being loosened. 
Incidence of forced labor in the annual cotton harvest has been reduced. Child labor virtually eliminated and important first steps have been made to expand religious freedom. President Mirziyoyev has also fundamentally reoriented Uzbekistan's foreign policy by vastly improving relations with his Central Asian neighbors and actively supporting regional cooperation. Uzbekistan has also begun to play a prominent role in the search for peace and reconciliation in neighboring Afghanistan. If confirmed by the Senate, my number one priority will be to ensure the safety and security of my embassy team, as well as any and all American citizens in Uzbekistan. Beyond that, I will make it my priority to, number one, deepen our partnership with Uzbekistan in pursuit of shared regional security goals, and achieve a new level of cooperation to counter terrorism and other transnational threats. Two, support the ambitious reforms the government of Uzbekistan has initiated. Three, help US companies take full advantage of opportunities to sell American products and to make investments as policy reforms make it easier to do business in Uzbekistan. Four, continue our focus on further improvements in the protection of basic rights and freedoms. And five, expand educational, business, science, and cultural exchanges between Uzbeks and Americans in order to establish a solid foundation for a long-term partnership. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, if I am confirmed, I pledge to work closely with you to support America's growing strategic partnership with Uzbekistan. I'm grateful for this extraordinary opportunity to serve my country, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Mr. Rosenblum. Mr. Tom. Chairman Young, Ranking Member Merkley, distinguished members of the committee, thank you for this opportunity to appear before you today as the nominee to represent the United States of America as the ambassador to the United Nations Agencies for Food and Agriculture in Rome. I won't uh, spare you any more time with the introductions of the family. We've covered that a few times, but I really thank them for being here today. It means a lot to me to have them in the background, sometimes for the first time in D.C. So I am grateful to be given this opportunity to outline my qualifications and discuss my vision with you today. I would like to take this opportunity to recognize the committee's leadership on global food security. Not only in the U.S. is the largest food provider in the world, but you have led a whole-of-government effort to address the root causes of global poverty and hunger by giving farmers the tools and knowledge to help them feed themselves. This approach will provide economic growth and stability at a time when the world needs it most. I cannot imagine a better honor than to serve in the leadership capacity and be a small part in advancing U.S. global food security efforts to create a more stable, food-secure world. I have been privileged to visit humanitarian response efforts in Afghanistan, Iraq, Kenya, Tanzania, where food security continues to be a challenge, in some cases, in a mix of a protracted conflict. Most of these people are farmers, and I witnesses the challenges they face in growing enough food to feed their own children and family. As a farmer and as a father, to see these people struggle in this way is heartbreaking. While the world will always see crisis, I know we can do better to lift people out of poverty. My story is an American story. I was born in Leesburg, Indiana, one of five children in a six-generation family farm. We were raised on a modest 200-acre farm that our family settled back in 1837. 
We may not have much materialistically, but my parents gave us what they could, instilling strong family values, work ethic, leadership skills, many gained through organizations like 4-H and FFA and a church where we belong. It was because of these experiences that we quickly understood the freedoms and the opportunities that this country offers. Our family's experience is unique, but is also familiar to many Americans across rural America and throughout our country's history. It was on this same farm where I raised my own family of five children and grew it into a larger family farming business that is recognized globally. The UN agencies in Rome are three principal organizations at the UN dedicated to food and agriculture. As a successful farmer, I know what it takes to grow agriculture, create jobs, and empower youth. And I have sought to share my knowledge and support of agriculture and food security all over the world. During these 45 years of farming, I have been part of numerous agricultural technical technology startup companies in the Silicon Valley, agribusiness firms to develop and advance new technologies that have driven global agricultural productivity. From 2005 to 2015, I was honored to serve with Governor Daniels and then Governor Pence on the India Economic Development Corporation Board. During my time serving on that board, we saw high levels of job growth while attracting record levels of capital investment to our Hoosier state. Today, Indiana is rated as one of the top states for business to call home. As a business leader, whether I'm working with government officials, startups, or established multinationals, I believe that there is nothing more important to leader success than his or her ability to unite those with different backgrounds, viewpoints, and objectives behind a common purpose. Although I will always call my Hoosier State home and will always call myself a farmer, I look forward to begin this new chapter if confirmed. I am eager to represent my country, build consensus amongst organizations, and forge new relationships to advance U.S. interest. The U.S. is the largest donor to the U.N. agencies in Rome, providing more than $2.6 billion a year in funding for humanitarian response efforts alone. If confirmed, I intend to bring private sector perspective to the governance oversight roles of the U.S. mission to help enhance the effectiveness of our investments abroad. Mr. Chairman, my goal in serving as Ambassador to the United Nations Agencies for Food and Agriculture will improve our mission's outcomes to serve the interests of the American people. If you confirm me, I will bring all my knowledge, work ethic, and skills to bear to ensure that this becomes a reality. I will do it in ways that I hope brings honor to our country, our values, and our national interest. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you, Mr. Tom. Ambassador Yamamoto. Thank, um, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman and Ranking Member Merkley and the honored members of this committee. It's indeed a great honor to appear to you uh, today to be considered for the position as the U.S. Ambassador to the Federal Republic of Somalia. And I'm very humbled by the nomination by the President and the confidence by the Secretary of State. I'd like to introduce uh, my wife, Margaret, who with uh, the many other dependents and uh, uh, eligible family members of the Foreign Service constantly makes sacrifices each and every day and contributions uh, to the uh, U.S. government and to the people of the United States. Through two evacuations and supporting colleagues serving in harm's way, we have two, two children who are also committed to service. Our daughter, Laura, is a cadet at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, and our son, Michael, serves as a captain in the U.S. Army Signal Corps, and it was a great honor for me to also serve in Afghanistan, where my son served on two occasions. 
Mr. Chairman and honored members, um, I've been very fortunate to serve in the uh, Foreign Service for the last two decades uh, in Africa and multiple ambassadorial assignments, as well as uh, Mogadishu, Somalia, as the uh, Charge d'Affaires two years ago to set up operations there. Uh, and also recently as the Assistant Secretary uh, acting for the Africa Bureau. Um, over the past several years, the characteristics that have uh, designated Somalia have made uh, great strides and improvements and that's due to not only the United States leadership role, but also the people and the governments in Somalia. The gains, though, can only hold through sustained good governance, commitment to tackle enormous security challenges, and determination to bring a better future for the country and its people. Uh, the United States is an, important, uh, is an important partner in the implementation of the steady increasing political, economic, and security reforms. We, as the United States, are in a critical leadership role and if confirmed, Mr. Chairman, I will continue to advance uh, the U.S. leadership role in advancing the U.S. national strategic interest in four critical areas. First, in building democratic institutions and holding governments accountable to the people, developing effective security forces, implementing stabilization and economic recovery programs, and delivering humanitarian assistance. Coordinating the international partners will also be critical to make the most effectiveness use of U.S. influence uh, and resources, and strengthening the positive relationships we have, with, such, as, such as the African Union and the Amazon troop contributions. Also, the Gulf states, the international actors, and organizations involved in Somalia will be our top priorities with the, your confirmation, sir. Above all, if, if confirmed, I will work to ensure the safety and security of the staff, U.S. government colleagues, U.S. citizens in Somalia, the security challenges in Mogadishu. And there are significant, it's challenging, it's dangerous, and it will continue to challenge us for the years to come. And Mr. Chairman, on a positive note too, Somalia is on, on, on change. We have the return of uh, the diaspora and including American citizens who are investing in Somalia. And Somalia's progress will continue through the efforts that we make and that we do in coordination with our colleagues. So Mr. Chairman, and the members of this uh, committee, I'd like to take this opportunity to say, if confirmed, I would do my utmost uh, to seriously and dedicate myself to the service and the values of this nation and to the people and to our objectives in Somalia. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And thank you, Mr. Ambassador. Uh, for the information of, of uh, all of the nominees as well as uh, the members present, um, Votes have been called. It's unclear at this point whether we're going to have one or two votes, but we'll make every effort to expedite uh, this process and, and uh, keep it going if possible. Otherwise, we may recess. There will be seven minutes uh, for members to ask their questions, uh, at least in uh, the first round of questions. So I'll begin with Mr. Tom. Uh, sir, you're nominated uh, to serve as the ambassador to the UN agencies for food and agriculture in Rome. And let me just reiterate uh, how proud I am to have such a qualified individual from our home state of Indiana uh, nominated to this position. You will promote, if confirmed, U.S. interests and policies with respect to three entities, the Food and Agriculture Organization, the World Food Program, and the International Fund for Agricultural Development. As chair of the subcommittee that oversees multilateral institutions, including the United Nations and related entities, uh, and in my efforts related to the four famines, in particular in Yemen, 
I've worked particularly closely with the World Food Program. Executive Director Beasley, for example, has appeared before my subcommittee twice just over the last roughly 18 months. Mr. Tom, once confirmed, will you let me know, uh, let members of my office know what we can do uh, so that we can work together and ensure multilateral efforts are as effective as absolutely possible with respect to food security? Senator Young, thank you for that question. If confirmed, I will report back into this committee and let you know what uh, my experiences are, the solutions I find, and the work that I have come to grow with, with Executive Director Beasley and others at USAID and FAO to make sure that we report back in our successes and make sure that we understand that success is measured by those that we lift out of poverty and help become food secure. Thank you. Relatedly, I'd just like to take this opportunity uh, to indicate how pleased I was uh, that Section 1290, it's a provision uh, in the National Defense Authorization Act that uh, I worked with Senator Shaheen and others on, uh, was included in the, uh, in the act that President Trump signed into law. And I look forward to reviewing Secretary Pompeo's written, detailed, and unclassified submission related to Yemen by September 12th in accordance with the law. Ambassador Yamamoto, in your written statement, uh, you list as one of your top priorities for Somalia delivering humanitarian assistance to alleviate emergency food and health uh, crises. Uh, based on your most recent position and your preparation for this hearing, can you just provide this committee an update on the food insecurity crisis in Somalia and indicate what tangible steps we should be focusing on uh, as a committee and as a country to help alleviate the food insecurity situation. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So in Somalia, with a population of 11 million, over 50% are acute food insecurity. That means 5.4 million people. But it's not just Somalia, but the entire region is entering its fourth year of drought. And so that poses uh, uh, huge problems and challenges. The United States is the major donor for um, uh, food assistance and, and humanitarian assistance uh, to Somalia. And we'll be working very closely with my colleague here, Mr. Uh, Mr. Tom, on those food uh, insecurity issues. And the way we deliver is that the United States remains critical to the humanitarian assistance, not only to Somalia, but to the entire region. Well, you preempted my follow-up question. I wanted your assurance that you'd be working closely uh, with Mr. Tom. Um, and uh, Mr. Tom, I, my presumption is you'll be working closely uh, with Ambassador Yamamoto, and uh, both of you will be reporting back to uh, my office and this committee on uh, your efforts. Is that a correct uh, presumption, Mr. Tom? Senator Young, it is correct. Yeah, Ambassador, yeah, okay. Uh, Ambassador Miller, uh, you're nominated to serve as our ambassador to Bangladesh, and as we know, the Burmese military has conducted a systematic and horrific campaign of ethnic cleansing against the Rohingya. As a result, we see hundreds of thousands of Rohingya refugees in Bangladesh from Rakhine State in Burma. Along with Senator Merkley, I've been active in the Senate on issues related to Burma and uh, this crisis, and I plan to continue my efforts. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, if confirmed, in coordination with our ambassador to Burma, do I have your commitment you'll keep this committee in my office regularly updated on the Rohingya crisis-related um, uh, you know, fallout from that crisis 
and uh, indicate to us, perhaps most importantly, how we can be helpful to you. Well, thank you for the question, Senator, and thank you for your leadership on this important issue, and I, I certainly make, make that pledge. I'd also want to recognize and thank Senator Merkley for leading the first congressional delegation to Burma and Bangladesh to see with his own eyes the ground truth of this immense humanitarian crisis. If confirmed, I pledge to continue to have this issue be the top priority, one of the top priorities at the U.S. mission in Dhaka. As I'd mentioned, the United States is very grateful uh, that the government of Bangladesh has opened their borders and the people of Bangladesh have opened their hearts to uh, over a million refugees for the last two decades, including 700,000 since August. I want to recognize the generosity of the American people. Uh, their hard-earned taxpayer dollars are saving lives, and I will uh, make it one of my top goals to make sure that continues to be the case and those dollars are spent wisely. Right now, they're providing protection, emergency shelter, food, healthcare, psychosocial support for the displaced and host communities in Bangladesh. But we have to, Senator, also focus beyond the immediate needs of this vulnerable population uh, and basic health and safety on medium and long-term planning. This crisis is not going to um, abate uh, in the next year or possibly uh, two or three years. So we're looking at schooling, livelihood training. And it's also imperative that any repatriation be fully voluntary, safe, and dignified. And Burma must commit to creating those conditions on the ground in Rakhine State. The military and security forces must end the violence and adhere to the rule of law. Those responsible for ethnic cleansing and other abuses should be held accountable. And in the letter that this committee sent to Secretary Pompeo last week urging a robust response to the crisis, uh, Ellie Wiesel, one of my heroes, was quoted as saying, silence encourages the tormentor. I pledge to you and this committee, if confirmed, I will work tirelessly with you, with our superb interagency team in Dhaka, with Bangladeshi officials, our international partners, to help the victims of this great injustice. Wiesel once said, what all victims need above all is to know they are not alone, that, that we are not forgetting them, that when their voices are stifled, they can borrow ours, that while their freedom depends on us, the quality of our freedom depends on theirs. If confirmed, I would always remember, as an American diplomat and public servant, our lives no longer belong to us, they belong to those who need us desperately. Well, thank you, Mr. Ambassador. I'm, I'm encouraged you speak with such clarity and precision, uh, thoughtfulness and um, eloquence on this issue. With that, um, Senator Shaheen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Congratulations to each of you on your nominations. I look forward to working with each of you if confirmed. Um, Mr. Tom, you spoke quite eloquently in your opening statement about the importance of food security and what you have seen as you've traveled. I am troubled because in the last two presidential budgets, the administration has proposed to zero out the funding for Food for Peace um, and to steadily reduce funding for the international disaster assistance, which um, supports food for peace. So based on your experiences, what kind of impact do you think it would have if the United States dramatically reduces funding for food programs and steps away from the role that we've played in the world? 
Senator Shaheen, thank you so much for that question. If confirmed, I look forward to making sure that the United States, who has always been generous, been very passionate, and making sure that those around the world who are food insecure receive the resources they need to stabilize their lives. But let's face it, we live in the midst of a crisis globally where this year we have 11% more people hungry than we had a year ago. This is more than we can do ourselves. We need to reach out to our alliances around the world and, again, measure our success not by the dollars we invest, but by those, the numbers that we lift out of poverty. Um, While I was encouraged by your comments about the importance of collaboration, I certainly agree with that. Um, But... but as much as we collaborate, if we zero out a program, it still leaves a vacuum there. And so I, I'm pleased to hear you say that you'll advocate for continued funding for these important programs. One of the things that we know is that the administration is talking about a rescission in the State Department and USAID budgets of 2 to $4 billion. We don't know yet because we haven't seen where that's going to come from, but we know that they intend to do it in a way that will um, prevent us from using those funds because it will be at the end of the year when those funds will expire. So I expect that we will see um, an impact on virtually all programs within the Department of State in a way that will be challenging. Um, Ambassador Yamamoto, talk about, if you would, um, how we can continue to help our partners fight against the terrorist groups that we're seeing in Somalia. You talked about some of the progress that's been made, but what else can we do? Thank you, Senator. We need to continue to support the, uh, the African Union mission, uh, the Amazon forces, uh, and to continue to work with our, our partner countries, uh, the European Union, also other um, like-minded countries such as Japan and Korea and other countries, uh, to support and assist uh, uh, Somalia's efforts to um, address the security needs of their country. And that means working and coordinating with the, the President Formaggio and the regional, uh, six regional states. And I think in that context, uh, we've been successful, and we're going to continue to be successful if confirmed. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Mr. Rosenblum, you talked about some of the changes that have been happening in Uzbekistan that are very welcome. One of the I don't want to say the only reason, but one of the reasons that we have um, worked very closely with the Uzbek government has been because of our efforts in Afghanistan, and Uzbekistan has been um, has been very cooperative in those efforts. As we see um, the continued evolution of the conflict in Afghanistan, are you concerned about any spillover into Uzbekistan and what might happen as the result of changes in that conflict? Senator, thanks. Uh, thank you very much for that question. Uh, there is a potential for spillover in the conflict, and the government of Uzbekistan is very aware of that. And for that reason, they have prioritized playing a constructive role in the reconciliation and peace efforts in Afghanistan. Uh, just in the past few months, we've seen a kind of reinvigorated effort by the government in Uzbekistan to, to play that role. They hosted an international conference on peace in Afghanistan in March. They have invited members of the Afghan government and, and the Taliban as well to talks in Tashkent. Uh, and we've been encouraging this. Uh, they have a strong stake, a strong interest in the, in the settlement. Um, they share a border, of course. 
and uh, we think that they can play a very constructive role. Um, and if I'm confirmed, that will be one of the main priorities of engagement with Uzbekistan, both its role with respect to um, Afghanistan, but also the broader neighborhood um, and to, to become a source of, of stability and peace in the neighborhood. Um, that's very encouraging, and what's happening there, again, is very encouraging. And I think um, that their engagement, both in Afghanistan and the region, offers a real opportunity for, as we look at coming to a pivotal time in Afghanistan. So I look forward to working with you in that effort. Ambassador Miller, I, I really can't say anything more to your add to your statement, I was very pleased to hear what you had to say about um, what you, your priorities will be as ambassador in Bangladesh, and um, certainly look forward to working with you as um, if confirmed in all of those efforts. Mr. Fisher, one of the things that um, we have, the disappointing things that we're seeing happen in Morocco, despite all of the progress in so many areas has been um, their their lack of success, really, in combating human trafficking. Um, we have seen that some of the human rights violations that have happened in Morocco have increased in recent years. And can you talk a little bit about in your if you're confirmed in your role as ambassador, what you could do to encourage the Moroccan government to better address both human trafficking and other human rights violations. Senator, thank you very much for that question. Um, trafficking is and has been a, an issue in Morocco. Um, they are ranked a tier two in the State Department's annual trafficking persons report. The government does not fully meet at this time the minimum standards for elimination of, of trafficking, but uh, it is my belief uh, from what uh, I have seen that they are make, trying to make significant efforts to do so. Um, in 2016, the government of Morocco enacted a new anti-trafficking law prohibiting all forms of trafficking and establishing an interministerial uh, anti-trafficking commission. If confirmed, I will urge the Moroccan government to increase its efforts to investigate and prosecute potential trafficking crimes, to identify trafficking victims, and provide protection services catering to the needs of, of those uh, affected. Well, thank you. I'm pleased to hear that. And um, so you are committed to continuing to speak up about those violations of human rights. Senator, thank you. I am. I am I am committed, if confirmed, and I'd be more than happy to come back and discuss it with this committee. That's great. Thank you very much. Um, I have to go vote, and since neither Senators Todd or Merkley are back, I'm going to recess this hearing for until they return. And again, thank you all very much for being here this morning and for your commitment to serve this country. It really, as you all know, it's that public service that makes a difference for. America and for our leadership in the world. So thank you all very much. Calling the subcommittee back into session. And uh, thank, thank you all for, for uh, staying with us through this short break. Uh, I wanted to start with Mr. Rosenblum. And Mr. Rosenblum, 
Uh, what role can Uzbekistan play in mediating or supporting talks between the government of Afghanistan and the Taliban? Senator, thank you for that question. Uh, it's it's an, a very important role that Uzbekistan can play. And uh, since President Mirziyoyev uh, became president, they've increasingly played a role in regional security, improving relations with their immediate neighbors, one of which is, of course, Afghanistan. Uh, and judging by some of their initiatives over the past few months, I think Uzbekistan is trying to promote peace and reconciliation in a very active way. It's clearly in their interest to have a stable neighbor. Um, I think you, you recall that there was a high-level international conference held in Tashkent in March, hosted by the government of Uzbekistan on Afghanistan. Um, Uzbekistan's also been making efforts to boost trade with its neighbors. They've signed a number of trade agreements just in the past few months with Afghanistan. Uh, Uzbekistan supplies a lot of electricity to Afghanistan. Much of Kabul is powered by electricity coming down from Uzbekistan. And um, in, all, in all fields, we're seeing a very active effort on their part. So uh, this is something that we've encouraged. It's something that we support. We want to make sure that their efforts are well coordinated with broader international efforts at reconciliation in Afghanistan. Uh, but uh, as, as I said before, no one has more of a stake in stability and peace in Afghanistan than its neighbors, and including Uzbekistan. Uh, th thank you. And you mentioned the power provided to Afghanistan. Can you, can you describe the, the makeup of Uzbekistan's uh, electric power and how that might potentially change over the years to come? So Uzbekistan's power um, system, Senator, is primarily powered with uh, oil and gas. And they, uh, some of which they produce themselves and some of which they bring in from neighboring countries. Uh, they do export electricity from that power generation to neighboring countries, including Afghanistan, as I mentioned. Uh, we also know that the Uzbek government is very interested in developing renewable power. And we've worked through some projects under USAID to give them the technical capacity they need to develop that, especially solar and possibly wind. So uh, this is an increasing move on the part of the government to diversify its energy generation. Uh, and uh, it's something that we're, we're working on together with them through, uh, through technical assistance. Uh, th thank you very much. Uh, and Ambassador Miller, uh, will you urge on behalf of the United States, the government of Afghanistan, uh, Bangladesh to uh, strengthen the infrastructure in the refugee camps and particularly provide for the opportunity for education for the children there? I certainly will, Senator. And um, I mentioned when, when you stepped out how much I appreciate your leadership on, on this issue and leading the first CODEL to, to see the facts, the facts on the ground. We, we discussed when we met recently um, about what needs to be done to sustain this large population uh, in Bangladesh. Um, not only will I uh, do my utmost to make sure that they are uh, being supported in the camps in Cox Bazar, uh, we discussed their possible relocation to an island um, and how that could be problematic due to, even with infrastructure and uh, seawalls, moving 100,000 refugees to the island, as, as we talked about, um, could subject them to um, flooding during monsoons and, and high tides. 
So I want to make sure that any repatriation to Burma or inside Bangladesh is done uh, in a fully voluntary, safe, and dignified manner. And if confirmed, Senator, one of my first trips uh, would be to follow in your footsteps. I, I would get out to the camps uh, as, as soon as I uh, got into Bangladesh to see, to see the ground truth for myself. Uh, thank you very much. And, and you mentioned the island, uh, Basan Char Island. Uh, this is a plan that I understand the government of, of Bangladesh is, is going forward with, but it's, is, is it my understanding that it's a low-lying island, and you mentioned it has the possibility of flooding during the monsoon, plus just, just the, the isolation that occurs in, in that situation. So it's, it sounds like the policy of the U.S. is to, to not encourage or to discourage the, the government of Bangladesh from proceeding with that effort? I checked on that question, Senator. The United States has uh, not spent any uh, U.S. taxpayer funds uh, building infrastructure or supporting development of that island. It's an island built on the sediment from a river that runs into the, the Bay of Bengal and the, and the Delta. It's an island that, um, during the monsoon season, uh, can effectively be underwater. There's also some uh, real issues with how you relocate 100,000 people and the fact that the island is uh, so isolated, it can become a, a target for piracy, uh, trafficking, and other criminal activity. And, and are we concerned about uh, ISIS recruiting from the, the refugees uh, who are in a difficult situation, tightly crowded, monsoon rains coming down, not much future for opportunity, economic opportunity? Yes, sir, we certainly are. Historically, the Rohingya have been uh, moderate uh, Muslim practitioners, but when you have a population of 700,000 living in desperate straits, in dire conditions, um, with the prospect of repatriation um, not clear at this point, we have to really be careful about the, uh, the possibility uh, for radicalization. Al-Qaeda and ISIS are already using the Rohingya crisis in their propaganda uh, internationally. And I would certainly work very closely with the government of, of Bangladesh to um, keep a very close eye on that, sir. Uh, thank you. My time is up, so I'm going to yield to my colleague, Senator Kane. Thank you, Senator, and congratulations to each of you for your nominations. Um, Mr. Fisher, I want to talk to you about Morocco. I am the ranking Democrat on the subcommittee of the Foreign Relations Committee that oversees the U.S.-Morocco relationship. The subcommittee is very broad. I, it's, it's the, I call it Marrakesh to Bangladesh. Um, so there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of countries to cover, but I have enjoyed both as governor and senator interacting with Morocco, uh, a very, very early, nearly immediate ally of the United States in a very critically important country. And I want to ask you a couple of questions about it. Um, in the region that I serve on the subcommittee, there is an increasing pattern of government crackdowns on political activists, journalists, uh, active, uh, members of religious and ethnic minorities. And this includes most recently in Saudi Arabia, the government seeking the death penalty for a nonviolent activist, a 29-year-old woman from the Shia, Shiite minority. In Morocco in June, the government sentenced the leader of a protest movement from the Morocco's Berber region and several other nonviolent activists to 20-year prison terms. As the representative of this administration and the American people to Morocco, will you stand up for principles of justice, democracy, equality, and free speech? 
Senator, thank you for that question. And, and the short answer is, if confirmed, absolutely yes. Um, I, I, I look forward to, uh, to working with the president's national security strategy, which says governments that respect the rights of citizens remain the best vehicle for prosperity, human happiness, and peace. I invite you to, to Morocco, if confirmed. I, I would love to tour the country, look at those areas of interest with you. And, and I, uh, again, if confirmed, I look forward to further working with this committee. I hope, if confirmed, that you will, will raise the issue of political detentions and sentencing with the government in an appropriate way and, and keep the committee informed on this. Uh, Morocco, unlike many of its neighbors, has not experienced a major terrorist attack since 2012, and that is due to very good work that's being done in Morocco. We need to give Morocco credit for that. But many foreign fighters from ISIS come from Morocco. Um, as ISIS controls less and less territory and fighters seek to move on or return home, uh, what existing programs or assistance can the U.S. provide to Morocco to help them deal with the potential of Moroccan native uh, foreign fighters as they come back trying to stop them from uh, engaging in destructive activity? Well, thank you for that question, sir. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the country of Morocco is doing a, uh, a, a good job of trying to identify um, and, and, and create an environment to control anyone that has been radicalized. They, they uh, practice a moderate Muslim uh, faith, and, and that in itself, and the export of uh, a modern Muslim faith around Africa is very helpful to, to, to trying to control that. There are, there are much fewer foreign fighters uh, from Morocco, and if, if they are to be, if they return to Morocco, they are identified. In some cases, they are held. They, they are worked, uh, the country works to try to de-radicalize them, and they, they are absolutely being effective with this from what I have seen. I want to ask you one other Morocco question, and it's one that has been a long-time challenge for the nation and, and American administrations for many years, um, in, and that's the Western Sahara. In 2016, following remarks by UN General Secretary Ban Ki-moon referring to occupied Western Sahara, Morocco expelled MINURSO, which is the UN peacekeeping operation civilian staff. And then military tensions escalated as both Moroccan and Polisario forces moved into the buffer zone that the uh, UN uh, staff had policed. Both parties did withdraw in time for the Minerso mandate to be renewed in April of 2017. And then the civilian staff began to return. The mandate was set to expire in 2018. It was extended until October 2018. How likely is a new round of direct talks between Morocco and Polisario Front, uh, how realistic uh, are expectations that those talks could move this stalemated perennial conflict into a new place? Senator, thank you very much for the question. The, uh, the United States continues to support the UN-led efforts to find a just, lasting, and mutually acceptable political solution to the conflict that provides for the self-determination of the people of the Western Sahara. Uh, recently, uh, former German President Helmut Horst Kohler 
uh, as the personal envoy of the UN Secretary General for Western Sahara, uh, was in Morocco. He has visited all of the, the, the uh, appropriate players in the region. And they are, Kohler was in Morocco, Algeria, Mauritania, and met with the Pulse area. And they are in talks, and we hope that will, will be fruitful. Um, if confirmed, I will be more than happy to come up, come back and discuss that with this committee. Thank you very much. Um, and I know that uh, Senator Merkley asked a number of questions about uh, Bangladesh, which is also in the Foreign Relations Subcommittee, where I serve as the ranking member. I, I applaud the work of Senator Merkley and others who've really made this an area of focus. And I will say to you, um, Ambassador Miller, that I didn't have a chance to hear your back and forth questions to, with Senator Merkley about that. Um, but I think that uh, this uh, encouraging, continuing to encourage Bangladesh to do the right thing in this significant humanitarian crisis is absolutely critical. And we sometimes have the experience of meeting with the uh, Myanmar officials and meeting with Bangladeshi officials and, and you know, kind of having finger pointing both ways. Um, I would just, I think you're taking this job at an incredibly important time should you be confirmed. I hope this, bringing the U.S. humanitarian assistance to bear on, on providing some solutions here would be a very top priority of yours. It certainly will be, sir. All right, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Senator. Mr. Rosenblum, um, I, I found your story about your father uh, and um, his work to fight anti-Semitism powerful, compelling, and uh, something that I hope uh, reaches a much broader audience. In the U.S. and abroad, uh, we have dis seen a disturbing increase in anti-Semitic hate crimes and, and violence, and sadly, We've seen it in my home state of Indiana very recently. These anti-Semitic acts, uh, they're contrary to our values, uh, contrary to what America's all about. So if confirmed, I'd just like to have each of your commitments from each one of you uh, in your respective positions that you'll do all you can to name, shame, and oppose anti-Semitic statements and actions. <coughs> Mr. Tom. Senator Young, you have my commitment. Yes, sir. You have my commitment. Thank you, Ambassador. You have my commitment, sir. Thank you. I do so pledge, Senator. I do as well, sir. Thank you all. I have one additional question today, and then I'll, I'll turn it over uh, for, to Senator Merkley for additional questions. And if Senator Kane, uh, you have additional questions, uh, I want to afford you that opportunity. Uh, Ambassador Yamamoto. You note in your prepared statement uh, that uh, you've recently served as the Acting Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs, and based on that experience, uh, I'd just like you to provide an update, if you will, on the situation in DRC with a particular focus on the need for uh, Joseph Kabila to respect the constitutional term limits of his presidency and the need for credible elections this year. Thank you, Senator. In that context, we have been committed to ensuring that, uh, uh, that there's a, a peaceful and proper transition uh, from uh, President Kabila to the next um, president and that the elections will take place as agreed to um, by all the parties uh, this December. And we are working very hard to make sure that that happens. Well, I'll, I'll look forward to working with you 
on that and being helpful however I can with you and others at uh, the State Department. Uh, as the chairman of the subcommittee that oversees the United Nations, can you also provide us an update on, on the UN peacekeeping mission there? Uh, the UN peacekeeping mission continues to be a, a face difficult challenges, not only because of the security situation uh, in uh, the Congo, and it's certainly one of the um, uh, one of our largest and the longest um, serving operations on the continent. Um, again, the United States remains very committed to supporting um, uh, the UN operations and ensuring a success and also not only stabilizing uh, the Congo, but also ensuring the elections take place. Thank you, Ambassadors. Senator Merkley. Thank you. Ambassador Yamamoto, will you initially be serving, if confirmed, uh, from within the country or operating out of Nairobi? Uh, we're very hopeful that uh, we'll go in directly into uh, Mogadishu. Well, that would be, uh, that'd be tremendous. Uh, and the, one of the challenges described by the team in Somalia has been that unlike the uh, State Department delegations from other countries, our de delegation has been restricted to the military compound in Mogadishu. Do you foresee that that, that might change? In my first time uh, there in 2016, we were able to get out to the, uh, the outskirts of, of, the, uh, of Somalia, and we hope to continue to do that uh, because we need to engage the uh, six regional leaders uh, and also to help coordination with the regional leaders and the federal government. And at this point, uh, we can get outside um, Mogadishu. Travel within Mogadishu is another issue. It's a challenge. It's difficult. It's dangerous. It's challenging. And of course, uh, from our windowless um, bunker uh, accommodations, uh, we'll see opportunities. Uh, but again, we'll take it uh, as security uh, merits. The New York Times has been reporting on the use of uh, drone strikes out of Djibouti uh, against uh, al-Shabaab. And um, do you have any sense of the effectiveness of this as a military strategy? And is there a purely military uh, strategy for uh, trying to change the uh, divided uh, and uh, civil conflict that's occurring? Thank you very much, Ms. Senator. And uh, in my previous role as the Acting Assistant Secretary, we've held uh, lengthy discussions, not only with um, General Waltholzer, the uh, commander, the COCOM commander for Africa Command, but also with, with other commanders from SOCOM and other uh, commands. The issue is that there is no military solution in Somalia. There isn't. Uh, everyone realizes and understands that. Yes, the Amazon forces have been very successful in containing the, uh, the rebels and the Shabaab elements. Uh, but the answer is that it has to be a whole government approach. And that means you need to have uh, strong institutions, democratic institutions that are accountable to the people. You need to have fighting corruption. You need to have the government with the, with the regional states working closely together to ensure that there's economic development, stability, fighting corruption, and working together. So one of the things that was uh, brought to my attention by the, the, the president of Somalia was that the extensive trade in charcoal was re resulting in devastating deforestation, uh, that they'd lost 80% of their forests in the last uh, 30 years, and that the sale of charcoal was funding al-Shabaab. Any sense of how we can take on this challenge? Thank you, Senator. Uh, we have worked with the United Nations to restrict the sales of charcoal, which is also being used by the Shabaab to earn money uh, for their operations. 
Uh, we have worked with the, the government, and if confirmed, we'll continue to work with uh, President Formaggio and his government to ensure that we don't have deforestation. Again, the, um, if you have 50% of the people um, you know, in need of food assistance, and you have uh, almost 25% displaced, and a large, largely because of the uh, climatic control problems, then we need to do much more to ensure that we have uh, you address the uh, the climate issues and also the problems uh, generated by the charcoal factory. Yeah. Thank you. I'm I'm not sure if this is the case that Somalia is the single worst case of deforestation in the last three decades, but it is one of the top. Uh, and as you mentioned, the the funding of not just using charcoal internally for very low-income individuals seeking to heat their food, but also the sale of it uh, abroad and together to some of the surrounding nations. Um, so I wanted to turn, uh, Mr. Tom, uh, to uh, the uh, issues that you're about to undertake, very important issues for food and agriculture. And do you have any uh, uh, sense on how uh, climate chaos is affecting fisheries and, and forests and aggravating the challenges of agriculture? Senator Merkley, thank you for that question. As a U.S. producer, we know that our family over the seven generations and the entire industry has always dealt with climate change. We know we need to adapt. And fortunate for us here in the United States, we've had the, the benefit of land-grant universities in the private sector and our own sources to try to make sure we can deal with effects of any changes that are happening to the climate. Not so is the case when you get into the many food uh, desperate nations around the world that are food insecure. One of my goals with uh, working with the Food and Agriculture Organization will be to instill resilience and make sure that we can develop the capacity but give them the tools to work with the changing climate that is occurring in many of these desperate countries across Africa and the Middle East. Uh, thank you, Mr. Tom. I really uh, look forward to the work you're going to do because uh, this issue of uh, food scarcity is affecting so many people. Now, there's a high level of uh, burnout in the United States in terms of absorbing the information. It's actually why I went to Northern Africa to visit two of the four famines. We in the committee here have held uh, hearings on the four famines, which uh, I've appreciated. Uh, the, um, but the, uh, the UN agencies that you will be involved in are, are critically important. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Fisher, I appreciate your interest in Morocco and was happy to learn that you had been there several times in the course of your life out of just general interest or business interest. Uh, there are a, a couple issues that committee staff raised that are, are in, important to give you a chance to address. Uh, there was a, a concern um, uh, over the um, the 19, I believe it's in 87, 1987 uh, case in involving Linda Day uh, and uh, her her concerns both about her treatment in the company and about. Um, the way she was terminated, and we know a settlement followed, uh, but um, would you submit to the committee a detailed accounting of that situation so that members who can, can examine that? Senator, thank you for that question. As we had the opportunity yesterday, and I welcome the opportunity to talk about it again, uh, we have talked about it with Senator Menendez's office. We have given 
a great deal of detail. That case was dismissed without prejudice. The, the, the counts in the lawsuit were all dismissed. Please recall that while I own the company, I am the registered agent. That was, it was, I was named in the suit because I own the company. Not, there was no history, there was no discussion, there was not a hint of an allegation against me, but we welcome, again, the opportunity to provide the entire committee any and all information. Uh, Mr. Fisher, thank you. If, if, so you would submit a detailed explanation of that for the, for the committee? But of course, I, thank I, you. I, I welcome the opportunity. Thank you. And I, I just feel compelled to note that on, on that particular case, it wasn't just that you were the head of the company, it was also um, conversations that the individual had had directly with you about the, about the situation. So uh, please make sure to address that, that particular piece of it as, as you submit your, 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 your description. Uh, the other issue that the, the committee was uh, somewhat troubled by was that uh, this was not on the list of, of lawsuits that you initially submitted in your, in your statements. You've already explained that to me, but again, if you'll explain that in writing to the committee, uh, that would be, be helpful to, to individuals. And, um, and I think the third, the third issue was the uh, issue of um, recusing yourself in the case of Judge Gorsica, and then unrecusing yourself. And uh, again, if you could provide a detail, you're welcome to address it now, but if you'd like to just submit a, a written explanation of that, that would be helpful. Uh, Senator, uh, as we discussed yesterday, I welcome the opportunity. I served on the State of Michigan Judicial Tenure Commission. Um, as, as requested, it's, it's there are seven uh, members of the judiciary and two independents. Uh, I served uh, for six years, and, and I would be more than happy to discuss that um, and look forward to that opportunity. Thank you. The reason I'm suggesting you just submit it in writing is the members who aren't here would, would just appreciate to have the chance to under, understand it, uh, and that way it's just easier than talking to each each person. We absolutely will, sir. Uh, thank you. And uh, Morocco is an incredibly uh, important nation and fascinating nation with such a unique history. And uh, are there any final comments you'd like to share in terms of your, your interest in, in serving there? Well, sir, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, uh, Senators, uh, for, for the opportunity to come today. Um, uh, we, my wife and I have been to Morocco. It is a fabulous country. There is lots of opportunity to, to grow commerce, to, to grow counterterrorism efforts. Uh, we, we look forward to, to hopefully hosting you if, if you can come and we can tour uh, the country and, and look at the opportunity. Um, commerce is better. There's, uh, with the free trade agreement, we've seen over a 300% in increase in commerce. And as I say, they're, f they're great counterterrorism partners of ours. There's, there's a lot uh, of, uh, to look forward to uh, serving if confirmed. And I, again, invite you to, uh, to come to Morocco and we can discuss it. Uh, or I'll come back and, and appear before the committee. Professor uh, John Damas at the Portland State University uh, is one of the few Americans to, to have ever received 
the highest honor from the government of Morocco for his, his work on their country. Unfortunately, he's, he's uh, passed away, but I wanted to mention him because of uh, the extensive work that he did in the relationship between the United States and, and Morocco and the important work that was done at Portland State. And thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Well, I want to thank all of our nominees uh, for your appearance here today before the committee, for your strong desire to serve our country in these important positions. For the information of members, the record uh, of today's hearing will remain open until the close of business on Friday, including for members to submit additional questions for the record. Thank you again to each of you, to your families. Uh, this hearing is now adjourned.